Today we're going to be looking at continuing our study of Romans chapter 4, uh, our whole study of the book of Romans, but today looking at verses 9 through 12 of Romans chapter 4, where God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us today. I recently read a remark by an individual who really hates Christians and Christianity. And the remark was this, think more, believe less, because believe has the word lie in it. I'm glad you all laughed, because that's a ridiculous statement. Uh, because of this, and this is, I also pointed this out to this individual, not that it made any difference, but I pointed out that every human being has faith in something. Everyone makes faith commitments. It's part of being a human. You think about our existence. We're here. We, we exist. If, if you do not believe that God created everything, then you have to make a faith commitment. You have to have a belief that something has always existed, that matter is eternal. And you cannot prove that scientifically. It has to be taken on faith, for example. So there are things in every human being's life that they take on faith. You can't get away from it. You, you have to believe things. So he's attributing belief only to Christians, which is absurd because everyone believes in something. And that's what Paul has been talking about in the book of Romans, faith. Particularly how faith relates to our standing before God which is the most important question. Now in chapter 4, we are picking up our reading in the middle of an example that Paul is using to prove his case that the only way humans can be justified or declared righteous before God is through faith alone in the redemption that Jesus Christ has provided. This idea that the person who places his or her faith in Christ is justified or declared righteous by God is not a new idea, Paul is saying. And he is giving us the example of Abraham. He shows here in chapter 4 that even Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's quoting Genesis 15, 6. So this is not some newfangled idea that the disciples and Paul came up with in the New Testament era. 
This is the way it's been going on since even before the time of Abraham. But he's holding Abraham out as an example, the, the great man of faith. Abraham was not justified and accepted by God because of his own morality and goodness. No, he was a sinner just like the rest of mankind. He trusted God and God, it says in Genesis 15, 6, God credited righteousness to him. This righteousness was a gift that God gave to Abraham. It was not an obligation God had to give it to Abraham. He had not earned it. It was given to him freely. That's what Paul's been saying about Abraham up to verse 9. No one is righteous. So, no one is so righteous that God is obligated to save them. Not you, not me, not anybody. One cannot earn God's favor through works. That's what Paul's been saying. It can only come as a gift from God alone, received by faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what he's been saying. Now, already in the first eight verses of chapter 4, Paul has demonstrated that Abraham was not justified by works, but rather by faith. In the verses before us this morning, starting in verse 9, we see Paul specifically point out that Abraham was not justified by religious works, by religious ceremony, particularly circumcision. Now, as, as we read that, and you hear the word circumcision over and over again, you're wondering, what in the world does circumcision have to do with us living in the 21st century? Well, there are two points I want to make this morning concerning this. First, religious activity is not a substitute for faith. And second, religious activity strengthens faith. So religious activity is not a substitute for faith. Rather, religious activity strengthens faith. And I want to point this out, and we'll use the example of circumcision, as Paul does. So first point, religious activity is not a substitute for faith. Verse 9 asks a question here. Is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Now what is that blessing that he's referring to here? Well, we have to go back a couple of verses where he quotes Psalm 32. Verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So he's talking about being blessed by God, blessed in this way, blessed that we've been counted righteous, declared righteous by God, having our sins forgiven, sins covered, and our sins not counted against us. He's asking this question. Is this blessing of forgiveness and being right with God only for people who are circumcised? Well, Paul points out in verses 10 through 11 that Abraham was justified before God before he was circumcised. Circumcision came after it. Genesis 15 is where it says... Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Circumcision was not introduced until chapter 17 of Genesis. 
At the end of chapter 16, Abraham, it says, is 86 years old. At the beginning of chapter 17, just one verse later, he's 99 years old. So there is at least 14 years between Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, between when Abraham is declared righteous by God and when Abraham is circumcised. 14 years at least, probably more. Verse 10, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. You see, Abraham, he says, was not justified and accepted by God because he was circumcised, but because he trusted in God and his promised provision. This is true not only of circumcision, but all religious ceremonies, rites, sacraments, practices in which he might have been involved. It was not because of any work that he had done that he was declared righteousness, righteous. It was because of his faith in the Lord. Now what's true of Abraham is true of us as well. That's what, Paul is, that's what Paul is talking about here. No one is justified through their works. No one is justified before God because of their religious activity. No one is accepted by God because they are baptized, because they go to church, because they participate in the Lord's Supper or walked an aisle at a revival or prayed a prayer or filled out a spiritual birth certificate or because they had Christian parents or grew up in the church or care for the poor or feed the hungry or preach sermons or serve as an elder or deacon. And we could add to that list. These activities do not save people. These activities might be an expression of your faith, but they are not what saves you. What saves you is faith in Christ alone. And not faith in general, not just being a person of faith, but faith in Christ alone. Trusting in the correct object of faith, which is Jesus Christ, who fulfilled all righteousness, died to pay the penalty for sin, and rose victorious over sin and death. If you put your faith in your religious practice to save you, then you're going to be disappointed. You are putting your faith in yourself if you do that, and your own personal performance and not in Christ and his performance as your substitute. Christ came and did that in our place for us so that we wouldn't have to do it because we can't do it. We're not capable of fulfilling all righteousness. We're not capable of paying the penalty for all the sins that we have committed. The sinless Son of God is the only one that could do that. So putting our faith in walking down an aisle or praying a prayer because I did these things, then God is obligated to save me? That's an error. But putting your faith squarely upon what Christ has done and trusting in Him, that's the only way of salvation. And that's what Paul's talking about. Religious performances, circumcision, baptism, any of these other things that I've listed, yes, they're good things. and We'll talk about those more in a moment. But that's not what saves you. It's Christ alone. 
Now we could ask the question, what value is religious activity? Why should I go to church? Why should I do all these things? Why should I be involved in organized religion at all? I could be like one of those people who say, well, I don't believe in organized religion. I can worship God at the golf course as well as the, the church. And probably better because I'm out in creation. I've had people tell me that before. And that brings me to the second point. Religious activity is not a way of salvation. It doesn't save us. Rather, religious activity strengthens faith. It's very important to see this. And when I say religious activity, I mean that which is prescribed in the Bible. Those religious practices that God has commanded us to do in his word. Well, if you just look at the example that Paul's given us here with Abraham, circumcision. Verse 11 states that Abraham was given the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He tells us two things about circumcision and the nature of it. That it's a sign and that it is a seal. And bells should be going off for anyone who knows their catechism or understands the sacraments. Sacraments are a sign and a seal. And I'll explain that in a moment. But circumcision, first of all, was a sign, he tells us. It was a sign that signified the cutting away of sin, being cleansed, uh, undergoing a change of heart, because all throughout the Old Testament it says, don't just circumcise your flesh, circumcise your hearts. You know, there, there needs to be an inward reality that is, that is commensurate with the outward act of circumcision. And it also was an indicator that you were included in the household of faith, in the covenant people of God. It showed that the person had this covenant relationship with God. And it was also a seal. So it was a sign. It pointed to these things. It was also a seal. Now, a seal or a stamp was used to authenticate or certify something. You know, we put a, we put a, a seal on a letter, or they did in the old days a wax seal to show the king, that the, the letter was indeed from the king or it belonged to the king. Circumcision was a seal. Abraham had this, he carried this around daily, and every day he was reminded certain things were authenticated or certified to him. He was reminded each day in his own flesh that he belonged to God. That God was his Lord. That God had made him promises. That God was the one that he looked to to do all that he had promised. It was meant to assure him, to reassure him. The act of circumcision and the state of being circumcised was not what he put his faith in. No. Circumcision reminded of his faith in God and the promises of God. He wasn't saying, God likes me because I'm circumcised. He was saying, God accepts me, therefore I am circumcised. And, and my circumcision reminds me that it is a gift of God that he has brought me into relationship with him and made promises to me. Now that's circumcision. And that's in the Old Testament. In the New Testament... Circumcision has been replaced by baptism. We read the scripture earlier, Colossians 2. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands 
by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The circumcision of Christ is having been buried with, it, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This circumcision of Christ is being baptized and it signifies things. It's a sign and a seal just like circumcision was in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a sign that our sins are washed away. It's a sign of personal renewal by the Spirit of God. And it's a sign of membership in the body of Christ. Now, baptism is not the action that washes away sins. Just because someone uh, put water on your head or dunked you or did whatever mode they wanted to use, that's not what's washed away your sin. It didn't regenerate you or renew you on the spot. It signifies these things. It points to them. It's not the thing itself. Now, if you were to drive down Highway 49 to Gulfport, eventually, or down 67 uh, towards Biloxi, you would eventually come upon a sign that says, a beach, beaches, and there would be an arrow pointing straight ahead. Now, suppose someone, obviously someone from the north who doesn't know any better, comes and sees the sign and slams on the brake and pulls to the side of the road and breaks out their beach chair and their beach towels and puts on their bathing suit and slaps on the sunscreen and there they are. They say, here, we've, we've arrived. Here's the sign that says beach. And, and they start sunbathing on the side of Highway 49. Well, that would be crazy. They've confused the sign with the real thing. They haven't made it to the beach it's just the sign, not the beach. Baptism points you to Christ and the benefits that flow from his finished work on behalf of sinners. It's not the thing itself. It points you to the thing. It points you to Christ. It's a sign. But it's also a seal. As you reflect on the meaning of the sign, on what the sign points to, washing, the re renewal, membership in Christ's family, that should deepen your faith in Christ. You should remember all that he's done for you, how he, ha he is the only way that we can be forgiven and cleansed and, and adopted into his family. It should humble you. You should never be full of pride because you've been baptized. It should humble you and make you realize all the more that it's, it's not anything that you've done, it's only through Christ that you can be washed and cleansed, raised to new life and adopted into God's family. Your baptism should encourage you to faith in Christ. It doesn't matter when you were baptized either. Was it as an adult, when you think about it, or attend someone's baptism? It should make you think about your own relationship with the Lord and how it is only through Him that you can be washed and renewed and accepted. He's pointing you to Christ. He's pointing to you to the relationship that you have with Christ. If you were baptized as an infant, you would do the same. Before you could comprehend that there was even a God, God reached out to you through your parents. You've been included in the covenant, and that means that you're obliged to put your trust in Christ. Baptism hasn't saved you just because you were baptized as a child. It's not a saving ordinance. It has only engaged you to be the Lord's, to trust in Him and to follow Him. It's like being engaged to be married. 
You've got to walk down the aisle, not literally walk down the aisle, but you've got to make that commitment to Christ your own. You've got to put your faith in Christ. Your baptism as a child should encourage you to do that. It's the same parallel with Old Testament circumcision. Little Israelite boys were circumcised and they were raised to put their faith and trust in the Lord when they grew up and got older. And if they didn't, they were condemned. They were covenant breakers. And if we ignore our baptism, we were baptized as as a child, or if we've been baptized later in life and have left the faith, you know, it's, it's it's condemning us because we're not fulfilling what it's pointing to. We're not putting our trust in Christ. See, the most important thing is your faith is in Christ, not in your baptism or any other religious activity. God has given those to us not to to check the list off in order to be saved, but rather so that as we put our trust in Christ alone for salvation, we can be built up and deepened and strengthened in that faith. Those things point us to Christ. When we uh, when we look at these practices, what practices are we talking about? Uh, God has given us several things. The, theologians call these practices the means of grace. And what that means is that these things that God has given us are the means through which we grow in grace, which we grow in our relationship with the Lord. And they are the sacraments which are baptism and the Lord's Supper. We only get baptized once, but every time someone's baptized, we think about our baptism, we need to reflect on the meaning of it and our relationship with the Lord. We participate in the Lord's Supper regularly, and that continuously points us to Christ, points us to trusting in Christ, points us to all the benefits that flow to us from Christ, the forgiveness because of his great sacrifice on the cross. So he's given us the sacraments of baptism in the Lord's Supper. He's given us the Word of God. We need to be regularly in the Word of God so that we can grow in our faith because it tells us what to believe and what we are to do. And as well, prayer. To spend time with God in prayer. These are the things that God has given us to strengthen our faith. It's not doing those things that saves us. It's putting our trust in Christ that saves us. But to be built up and strengthened in that faith, these are the things that we do. When we practice these things, we are depending on Christ to save us. We are doing these things because Christ has saved us. We are doing these things to remind and confirm that Christ is the only way of salvation. And if our faith is not in Christ, then these practices are in vain. They're just empty religious practices. Well, let's look at, in conclusion, the second part of verse 11. He says, the purpose, and the purpose of Abraham being justified by faith before he was circumcised, the the fact that it was done in this order, was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. 
So I just want to ask two questions about that. First question is, where is your faith? Where is your faith? When you die, why should God allow you into heaven? If your answer is, because I did this and I did that, well, your faith is in yourself and your performance. Do you believe in Christ? And I'm not asking what you have done. I'm asking if you, in the words of verse 10, do you believe without being circumcised or baptized or any other religious practice? Do you believe in Christ irrespective of any religious activities in which you engage? Or is your faith squarely upon what Christ has done for you? So where is your faith? Is it in yourself, in your own works? Or is it in Christ? There's a huge difference there. And it transforms all the religious practices when you have put your faith in Christ. Because there's salvation, as Peter said in Acts 4. There's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among, by, among men by which we must be saved. Not my name, not your name, no other name, only Christ. So the first is, where's your faith? Is it in Christ or in yourself? Second question, how is your faith? Is it growing? Is your faith growing? Or are you neglecting the means through which your faith can grow? I mean, think about it. We, God forbid that I would ever miss a meal. I'm not growing up taller anymore, but I am growing out, which is not good. But we have to have food to sustain our lives. We need to be physically fed. Well, you need to be spiritually fed as well if you're a believer. If you cut yourself off from the means of grace, from the sacraments, from, from God's Word, from prayer, it's just, like, it's just like starving yourself. You're not going to be healthy. Are you... In the Word, are you attending church weekly where the gospel is preached? Do you commune with God in prayer? Do you thoughtfully participate in the sacraments? These are God-given activities through which our faith can grow and be strengthened. And neglecting them will cause your growth to be stunted at best. Now, the newsletter is going to come out next week and just give you a preview uh, of what I'm going to say there. I'm talking about these very same things. And if you look at the life of Jesus, the, the sinless Son of God, time and time again through the Gospels, you will see him quoting Scripture. He knew Scripture backwards and forwards. And any time he was in a crisis, any time he had a problem, any time he faced opposition, he was quoting Scriptures. When Satan came to tempt him in the wilderness, he quoted Deuteronomy three times to him. He knew Scripture. And he, and he, he just wasn't born that way. He, yes, he was a sinless son of God, but he was a human as well. He learned the scriptures. He attended to the scriptures. And also, he prayed. He would go off into the mountain and pray all night long. He prayed and prayed and prayed. You see that all throughout the Gospels. Now the question is, in, that, in, in reference to this, how is, how is your faith? If the Son of God felt the need to be in the Word, and spend time in prayer, shouldn't we as well, who are sinners? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, uh, as always, 
for the word. And Lord, may our faith be built up today. May our faith have its correct object today. Lord, we're apt to start trusting in our own abilities, our own performance. Help us, Lord, to shift our faith to Jesus Christ and him alone in, in the work that he has done in his life, death, and resurrection. And Lord, may we continue to walk in your paths. Help us to long for your word, to find joy in the reading and studying of your word, to find joy in being with you in prayer, to become skilled at thinking about and exercising the sacraments. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be healthy believers in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.